0: There are an awful lot of people out there this morning that would benefit greatly from being in here. There are countless of multitudes of people outside the church whose lives would be far better if they were inside the church. Our community is filled with people Who would have more hope, more peace, and more strength if they were inside the kingdom instead of outside the kingdom? But how do we get those who are outside inside? We we say things like well, people just don't think they need God anymore. People are too wrapped up in the world to care anything about God. People are so busy with less important things, they don't have time for God. People don't want to give up their sinful lives. And you know what? Some of those things are true, but they're no more true today than they've ever been. Listen very carefully. Blaming those outside for being outside is never going to get them inside. Criticizing those who are outside for being outside is never going to bring them inside. Could it be that a large part of the problem lies with us? Could it be that those of us who are insiders are one of the reasons why so many people are outsiders? Could we be missing something? I think we are. And today I want to show you what it is. We're going to talk this morning about getting outsiders inside. We're going to look at Mark chapter 8. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. We're going to stand and read that together from the Word of God. Mark, chapter 8, verse 1. Please stand. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people and they had a few small fishes and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets and they that had eaten were about four thousand. And he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples. And came into the parts of Dalmanutha. Let's pray. Oh God. Open to us your word. And open us to your word. In Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. we're gonna look at these verses together thinking about getting outsiders inside And the text begins first with the crowd of outsiders we see in verse 1 you see how verse 1 starts in those days well in what days well if you back up to verse 31 of the previous chapter chapter 7 he's talking about the days when Jesus and his disciples were in the region of the Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. These were ten cities in Gentile territory. Non-Jewish territory. So Mark is telling us, while Jesus and His disciples were in this Gentile area, the multitude was very great. Okay, so here's the picture. Jesus and His disciples are in... A Gentile area and there is a large crowd of Gentiles, non-Jews, who don't practice the religion of the Jews. You with me? So we've got a large crowd of Gentiles. They're in a Gentile territory. Now, here's something very important for you to understand. In the time of Jesus, Jews regarded Gentiles as unclean religiously unclean that means they could not approach God or be accepted by God now it was even considered unlawful to have friendly conversation with the Gentile if you were a Jewish person the Jews considered the Gentiles enemies of God enemies of God's people if a Jew had a child with the Gentile even if they were married The child was still considered illegitimate because it was only partly Jewish. One writer described the Jewish attitude toward Gentiles like this. It's the most extreme aversion, scorn, and hatred. Jews did not like Gentiles. Now... It is true the Gentiles of Jesus' day were pagans. They worshipped false gods. They lived ungodly lives. They were outside of the kingdom of God. That's true. But because of that, the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with them. They held them at arm's length. They looked down on them. And we do that too. We're, cr- we're really quick to criticize those who are outside the church. We are really quick to pass judgment on those who live in immorality and sin. We hold them at arm's length. We point the finger at them and distance ourselves from them. As if that's the Christian thing to do. Listen, we think it makes us more Christian to stay away from outsiders and look down on them. We, we act as if getting too close might somehow contaminate us. We think it makes us more like Jesus to avoid People who are in sin. People outside the kingdom. But let me tell you something. It doesn't make us more like Jesus. Look at me. Look at me. It makes us less like Jesus. I want you to notice how Jesus treats these outsiders. I want you to see the compassion of Jesus in verses 2 and 3. We're told that this crowd had nothing to eat, this crowd of Gentiles. So Jesus calls his disciples to himself, and in verse 2 he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Listen, these people had been with Jesus for three days. He'd been healing them, he'd been teaching them, and they have nothing to eat. Jesus is afraid to send them to their homes without eating something because some of these people had traveled a long way and Jesus is afraid that trying to travel back home, they'll get weak from hunger and collapse. It says Jesus had compassion, verse 2, for these outsiders. The word compassion means to be deeply affected In your inner being. The the word in the language of the New Testament actually refers to your guts. It means to feel something deep down in your gut. It means to feel deeply for someone who is in a painful or difficult situation. But compassion isn't just a feeling. In the Bible, compassion is always, always connected with action. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Matthew 14, verse 14. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Compassion followed by action. Here's a a story you remember Luke 15. You remember this the parable of the prodigal son? The prodigal son arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Compassion followed by action. You see, when Jesus saw these Gentiles, he didn't just feel sorry for their situation. He was moved to do something. That's compassion. Let me give you a good definition for biblical compassion. Compassion is feeling so deeply for someone's situation that you take action. Compassion is what causes people, when there's a, a, a hurricane somewhere, or a tornado somewhere, and people have lost everything, people will take days and weeks off of work and and go somewhere and work for free, spending their own money trying to help people. That's compassion that moves people to do that. It's compassion that moves people to, to not just talk about feeding the homeless, but go out on the street and, and, and sit with those people and bring them meals. It's compassion that causes people to start soup kitchens. You, you with me? It's compassion that moves people beyond feeling something to doing something. And that's what Jesus feels. But I need you to understand the compassion of Jesus is not limited to people's physical needs. His compassion extends to the whole person physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. In Matthew 15, we saw his compassion and it moves him to heal people and cast out demons, physical and spiritual needs. Mark 6, his compassion moves him to teach people the truth. Again, dealing with their spiritual needs. Mark 8, here in this story, Jesus feeds people, again, a physical need. But here's what I need you to get. Catch this. The Jews of Jesus' day only had compassion for other Jews. You understand? They certainly didn't have compassion for Gentiles. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? There's a man on the side of the road who's been beaten and robbed and left for dead. A priest, holy man of God, comes along and he avoids him and goes around. Then a Levite, which would be someone who worked inside the temple. Again, one of the holy men, what does he do? Avoids him. But then a Samaritan comes along, not even a Jew, and he helps him. Those two first, the priest and the Levite, that's the way the Jews were. If you weren't a Jew, no compassion for you. Let me say it like this they had compassion for insiders, but not outsiders. Not only did the Jews not expect Jesus to show compassion to the Gentiles, they would have frowned on it. Here's what they didn't understand. And this is what you and I need to understand. Jesus came so outsiders might become insiders. You get it? They didn't understand that. Jesus came for outsiders to become insiders. And that starts for Jesus with showing them compassion let me tell you something jesus did not reach these gentiles by holding them at arm's length that's what the religious jews expected him to do and when he didn't they criticized him they condemned him you've heard the stories he's eating with tax collectors and sinners as if somehow sin is contagious like the flu he's a friend of sinner's They said it criticizing him. It's actually a compliment. They never got it. Jesus came to bring outsiders inside and you cannot do that by distancing them and treating them like they have the plague. It takes compassion to get outsiders inside. And I want you to see his compassion in action. I want you to see what it looks like. We see in verses 4 through 9, really what is the repeat of a miracle he's already done somewhere else. If you remember just two chapters ago, we looked at the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He multiplied the loaves and the fish to feed a whole massive crowd. The story that we read this morning follows the exact same pattern. In verse 4, we see the clueless disciples question how is it possible to feed all these people. The same in the other story. In verse 5, Jesus asks the disciples how much food they have on hand. Same as in the other story. In verse 6, Jesus commands the people to sit on the ground. Same as in the other story, but here's something important you need to notice when it says he commanded them to sit on the ground, the word is actually recline. Now why is that important? It refers to laying on your side, propped up with laying on your side. This is important because this is how the Jews ate. They would lay on their side at a lowered table and this is their, the eating posture. When Jesus tells them to recline, he's telling them dinner's coming. It's like you saying to your family, come to the table." So he's telling the crowd, you're fixing to get fed. Get get in your eating posture. Wash your hands for dinner, whatever. He's letting them know he's going to do something to bring food to them. Get ready for dinner. So Jesus then breaks the bread and the fish and the disciples distribute it. Verses 6 and 7. The exact same thing that happened in Matthew, excuse me, in Mark chapter 6. Then we see in verse 8, the people are all satisfied, meaning they had all they wanted, they were full. Exactly the same thing that happened in Mark chapter 6 with the 5,000. And then the leftovers are collected. Again, same thing. You know what? This could almost be the same story recorded again. And some Bible scholars have said it was probably just a re-recording of the same story. But we know it's not, and here's how we know the first crowd Jesus fed was 5,000 men. This crowd is 4,000. The first time Jesus was in Bethsaida, now he's in Decapolis. The first time there were five loaves and two fish. This time there are seven loaves and a few small fish. The first time there were 12 small baskets of leftovers. This time there are seven large baskets of leftovers. But here's the biggest, most significant difference in these two miracles. The first time Jesus fed the Mass, It was a crowd of Jews. This time, it's a crowd of Gentiles. Did you know that Jews considered it unlawful to eat with the Gentiles? It would make you ceremonially, religiously unclean. But here Jesus is eating with 4,000 of them. Now, the only way you're going to understand how big of a deal this is is for you to understand why the first miracle was so significant when Jesus fed the Jews. All right, so think with me just a minute. We have a crowd of Jews in the desert. Some versions say wilderness, but it refers to a desert, an unpopulated, barren area. Okay, so there's a large crowd of Jews in the desert without enough food and then we have a miraculous provision of bread. Does that remind you of anything? What about back in the book of Exodus? A large crowd of Jews in the desert without enough food and there's a miraculous provision of bread. We call it the manna from heaven. You see What Mark's trying to get us to do when he talks about the Jews and Jesus feeding them, he's wanting us to make the connection between what Jesus is doing and what happened in the Exodus, in in the book of Exodus. Now, what is Exodus? What does that mean? When we talk about the Exodus, what we're referring to is when God brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt. For 400 years the Jews were slaves in the land of Egypt. God performed great miracles, 10 plagues in Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea, brought them through the wilderness, and ultimately gave them the promised land. That's what we call the Exodus. Now, in the Bible, the Exodus is referred to as Israel's rescue, it's called Israel's redemption it's called Israel's deliverance Israel's salvation but this is what I need you to see the deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt to the promised land is what we call a foreshadowing that means it's a picture of something else that's to come later God's ultimate plan was not to deliver His people from bondage in Egypt to give them the land of Canaan. God's ultimate plan is to deliver His people from bondage to sin and to give them a place in the kingdom of God. The real promised land. So in other words, the first exodus is a foreshadowing of the ultimate exodus where God's people will be delivered not just from Earthly tyrants, but from the bondage of their sin, delivered into the kingdom of God. The ultimate rescue, the ultimate redemption, the ultimate salvation God plans for his people is to deliver them from slavery to sin into his eternal kingdom. Now, I don't have time to develop this in depth, but the book of Hebrews makes this connection very clear. It connects the Exodus of the Old Testament to the salvation of God's people in the New Testament. Let me give you just a couple of real quick connections. Hebrews 3 links Jesus and Moses. Jesus is the better Moses. Hebrews 4 links Christians with Israelites, the people of God. Hebrews 6 links the high priest during the time of the Exodus to the ultimate eternal high priest, Jesus. Hebrews 9 links the tabernacle where God dwelt with his people in the Exodus to to the heavenly temple in the new heaven and new earth where God will dwell with his people. Hebrews 12 links the journey of the Israelites to Mount Sinai during the Exodus to the journey of Christians to the heavenly Jerusalem. What the author of Hebrews is doing is saying what, the old, what happened in the Exodus of the Old Testament is a picture of the reality that's happening in and through what Jesus came to do. The deliverance of God's people. The second Exodus. If you have any idea what I'm talking about, do this. You, you following me? So here's where I'm going. Here's what I need you to see. When Jesus feeds 5,000 Jews in the desert it calls to mind the Exodus why does mark show us that here's why he's trying to show us that Jesus is the better Moses who has come to lead God's people on the ultimate Exodus a journey from slavery to sin into eternal life in God's kingdom that's what we're supposed to see when we look at the feeding of the 5,000 Jesus is the one who's come to offer God's people a place in His Kingdom. In John chapter 6, the same story is recorded in John, Jesus feeding the 5,000 Jews. But listen to what Jesus said to those Jews on the very next morning. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. John 6, 33 to 35. Don't miss this. The bread that Jesus gave those Jews was just a symbol of the true bread that he came to give. He came to give himself that they might be saved you remember when jesus instituted the lord's Supper when he broke the bread what did he say this is my body broken for you when jesus feeds those five thousand he says i am the true bread come from heaven i am the true spiritual food come to give you life he's telling them that i've come to deliver God's people from bondage, to give them a place in the kingdom of God. Now, back to Mark chapter 8, Jesus performs this same miracle for a crowd of Gentiles. Outsiders. What's the point? Here's the point. The same offer of salvation... The same offer of citizenship in God's kingdom that Jesus has come to offer the Jews is now being extended to the Gentiles. You with me? The same miracle Jesus performed for the Jews, the miracle that shows them He's come to bring them salvation, Jesus is now performing that same miracle for outsiders to show them that He has come to offer them salvation. What that means is the salvation that Jesus has come to bring is now offered to anyone. This is a fulfillment of the Old Testament Scripture. Isaiah 49 verse 6 Isaiah's prophesying about Jesus and he said it is a like thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to restore the preserves of Israel I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that they may be my salvation unto the ends of the earth listen the story we're looking at this morning is teaching us this Jesus came so that all people might have a place in God's kingdom or as I've already said Jesus came so outsiders might become insiders. Don't you miss what that means. It means all of those people you avoid, all of those people you hold at a distance, Jesus came for them. Those people whose political views are the opposite of yours, Jesus came for them. Those people who have morals and values that are the opposite of yours, Jesus came for them. The people who are of a different race and a different nation and a different religion, Jesus came for them. Those people who don't look like you. Those people who don't live like you. Those people who don't think like you. Jesus came for them. Oh, they may be outside God's kingdom, but Jesus came to bring them inside. And never forget this. You used to be an outsider. There was a time in your life when you were outside the kingdom of God without God and without hope. But thank God Jesus came so that outsiders might become insiders. Now church, I need you to make sure you understand the implications of that for us. For those of us who call ourselves Christians and say we're part of His church, what's the implications? Well, if, if it was Jesus' mission to bring outsiders inside, then it should be our mission as well. Right? The only way we're ever going to be successful to do that is to start where Jesus started. Listen to me. The starting point for reaching those outside the church is compassion. Compassion. Getting outsiders inside begins with compassion. If you only remember one thing I say today, you remember that. Tattoo it on your forehead. Getting outsiders inside begins with compassion. Now remember what I told you compassion is. Compassion is feeling so deeply for someone's situation that you are moved to action, moved to do something. In other words, we need to feel what Jesus felt and do what Jesus did. We need to have genuine concern for the physical, mental, and spiritual well-being of those who are outside of the church and those who are outside of God's kingdom. You listen very carefully to what I'm fixing to say to you. You will never win people you care nothing about. You cannot alienate and avoid people you're trying to reach. That doesn't even make good sense. You listen to me Unbelievers, those who live an ungodly lifestyle, are not the enemy. Are you listening to me? Unbelievers are not the enemy. I want to suggest two things. First, pray. For compassion. Pray. That God would give you a heart. That feels deeply for people who are outside the church. People who are outside the kingdom. Pray that God would give you a heart. That feels for their situation. For their pain. Pray that God would open your eyes. To see their physical, mental and spiritual needs. And pray that God would replace your critical spirit with a compassionate spirit. Pray that God would turn that pointing finger into an outstretched hand. You with me? That's what you need to be praying. Pray that God would move you to action. And that leads me to my second suggestion. First, you ought to pray for compassion. Secondly, you ought to practice compassion. Look for opportunities to show kindness to those who are outside of the church. Outside of the kingdom. And I'm going to tell you what you ought to do. You ought to look for those people that you would normally avoid. You know, next time you're in your Walmart... And you see that guy who's got so many tattoos, it looks like a Spider-Man comic book. He's got, I mean, he's got so many piercings, he'd make a metal detector ten miles away go off. His hair is purple, what there is of it. That's who you need to look for, the kind of people you'd normally stay a mile away from. Those homosexuals you know, the ones you normally would avoid, that's who you need to be looking to to show compassion to. That's the kind of people you ought to look for. That's the kind of people you ought to target. That's the kind of people you ought to be trying to see how you can reach out and be kind to them. Listen. If you know they're struggling financially, give them a gift card to help buy groceries and necessities. If you know they're stressed, offer to keep the kids so they can have a night out. If they're in the hospital, go see them and find out if they have needs you can meet. If they're sick, take them homemade soup and a get well card. Throw them a birthday party on their their birthday. There's a million things you can do to show kindness and compassion to people who are outside the church. There's no shortage of needs for people who are looking If you don't see them, you've purposely closed your eyes. Because you're in the habit of avoiding people like that. True compassion stems from something you feel. I've already said that. So you may be thinking. What if I, what if. I really just don't, I mean, I just don't feel that. Here are two things you need to do. If you would be honest enough to say, you know what, I I probably ought to be compassionate for people who live in immorality and sin. and I probably ought to feel, but you know, I just don't. Here are two things I want to say. First, ask God to forgive you for the coldness and indifference of your heart. Because if you look at people in sin and feel no compassion, I'm as worried about you as I am them. Second, don't wait till you feel like it. Listen, you don't wait till you feel like it to do the right thing. You know what you ought to do? If you don't especially feel compassion for people who are outside of God's kingdom, outside of the church, you ought to practice compassion and pray that God would adjust your attitude accordingly. Amen. Do what you know is right and beg God to give you the attitude about it you ought to have. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 is a really good verse you ought to remember. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I can tell you in one word how to do that. How do you act wisely toward outsiders? How do you make the most of every opportunity? One word. Here it is. Compassion. Compassion. I'm very well aware that compassion alone won't get people into the kingdom. I'm aware of that. They have to hear the gospel and turn to Christ in faith. I know that. But don't you think. That if we show them compassion first, they are far more likely to hear the gospel and turn to Jesus. Can you even imagine if every single one of us started today starting to show compassion to people all around us who are outside of God's kingdom, outside of the church? If everywhere we went, we began speaking to them with kindness, making it a point to speak to them, kindness, encouragement. What if we all started going out of our way to bless them in any way we could? What if we stopped being critical start started being helpful. I believe a lot more people would be willing to listen when we talk about Jesus. I believe a lot more people would accept your invitation to church. You are never going to reach people by being indifferent or judgmental. Never. Say, so, well, I was taught to stay away from sin. Me too. But you listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. I was not taught to stay away from sinners. That's right. Well, I was taught to stay away from sinners when well, you were taught wrong. We were just taught wrong because that's not what Jesus did. But if we're armed with the compassion of Jesus, we will see outsiders become insiders. Angela, come up here just a minute. I know what some of you are thinking because I know you. You stay right there. I know some of you are thinking Well, I just don't believe in embracing people's wrong beliefs and behaviors, embracing people's sin. You listen to me. I am not asking you to agree with someone's sinful, immoral lifestyle. I am not asking you to accept their wrong beliefs and wrong behaviors. I am not asking you to compromise your faith. All I'm asking you to do is to stop doing this. Start doing this. That's all I'm asking you to do. Why? Because getting outsiders inside begins with compassion. Let's pray.